This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I hope your weekend was good. I hope you're having a good start to your weekend. I'm not getting rained on too much down there. Jackson. I know no, you're- it's a mess. We, we've got water from the sky, but not from the tap is uh, how Jackson is right now. But I think this is just going to last for the next week or so. So turn around, don't drown. We don't want anybody busting their rims or causing an accident. So everybody take care out there driving. We are very excited to have our friend to this show, uh, Rick Courtney. Professor Gershon, why don't you introduce him? Well, I'm excited always to have Rick on the show. He, as you mentioned, he is a great friend of the show. And, um, he uh, practices elder law and estate planning, does disability planning. And Liz, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll let Rick talk a little bit more about his area of practice and what, what, uh, what he does, because he, he does you know, so much for so many people. Well, thank you, Professor Gershon. Uh, I always enjoy being on with you. And on a rainy day, Liz's smile is always brightening the day. So uh, I do have an adult daughter. I have twin daughters who are adults. One has a disability. And she's had three different kinds of Medicaid coverage. She's had SSI through the low-income part of Social Security. And now she's on Social Security disability, like people who've worked and been injured, except she couldn't maintain a a job because of her disability. So she's on Social Security Disability and Medicare, just like her over 65 dad now. So we have personal experience with the public benefit programs and with uh, the caregiving issues that go along with a, a child and an adult with disabilities. And also, my mom has Alzheimer's. My wife was the primary caregiving child for her dad with Alzheimer's for five years. So that's elder law and special needs law are linked. They are, they're so similar. And so we, we focus in those areas, but we do traditional estate planning, wills and powers of attorney and trusts and those things for other people that don't have those issues. Well, and estate planning is about relationships, a lot of it. And one of the most important relationships is the relationship that people have with their spouses, married people. And so today we're going to be talking about some of the advantages that the law gives to married people. Um, You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, You know, marriage is a a contract as well as just a true love relationship. And so laws have developed to give some protections to spouses in a marriage, uh, to give some financial uh, benefits to spouses in a marriage that aren't given at this point in our culture that aren't extended to unmarried partners. So 
Uh, that's what we'll talk about some. There are a number of these. I, I spoke some few years back to a social work conference and was talking about some of these issues uh, where, as you mentioned, family dynamics is part of elder law every day. I mean, we have to be concerned in estate planning and you teach your students, you know, you've always got to be concerned about who the client is, where the other motives and efforts are being made within the family to do things. But in a marriage, uh, there are some uh, benefits extended by different laws, and we'll talk about those. In a probate and in planning your will, um, people may find some surprising things from this conversation this morning that they didn't, they didn't know, and it might affect how they plan. So they ought to get their note paper out and their pencil and uh, be ready to take a few notes. And this is usually a busy show. We're kind of uh, tweaking it a little bit. Usually when Rick Courtney comes on the show, we talk about wills and estates. Now we're going to give, we'll still answer those questions, but we're also going to give some information about how it relates to spousal benefits. What are some of the benefits to being married? Are there drawbacks financially? That's our topic for today. We would love for you to send us your emails, legalterms at mpbonline.org, so you can be sure to get your question answered. And, you know, Rick, I think, you know, one of the things I just got through talking to my class about, because I have class right before the show, and that is, um, it was the first day of class, I said, you know, how many of you are going to be divorce lawyers? And And a few of them you know, it's hard to get them to raise their hand the first day, but a few of them kind of indicated they would. And I said, if you're a divorce lawyer, you got to think about estate planning too, because that termination of the, the spousal relationship is really important. And I think sometimes people forget that maybe they've got a life insurance policy payable to their former spouse, and they got they got to make the change those designations. So that spouse relationship is, is really important. And and so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that are protections for spouses that, that other people don't get. Yeah, once one thing that I discuss with clients who are talking about doing wills, a lot of people come in, well, I need to get my ducks in a row, Rick. You know, I need to, uh, you know, I said, well, we're, we're good at rowing up ducks in here. Let's get that done. Um, but they say, I need a will. I said, all right, are you married? Yes, okay. It's no longer a simple will. <laughs> There's some issues to consider. And one thing that uh, sort of surprises some people is that in Mississippi, our law does not allow you to disinherit your spouse totally. And you teach your class that those statutes, there is a, a statute law in our books that says if I make a will and I totally leave my spouse out, let's say that I am in a second marriage and I have children from the first marriage and I want to leave everything to my kids and I don't have children by my second marriage. If I do a will that leaves everything to my children, then there's a statute that says at my death, the law will step in on behalf of my spouse and renounce my will on her behalf or his behalf and will give them a child's share. So if I have two children, a child's share, if my spouse split it with them would be one third. And so my spouse would be entitled to get one third of my estate, even if I don't leave them anything in the will and the law will do it for them. Unless they have a separate estate, separate assets of their own that is equal to the amount they would get 
from my estate. So uh, that is a protection for spouses. It says, well, you, you know, if one spouse owns everything, uh, that could be a problem. If they die and leave the spouse out totally, then that surviving spouse has nothing to live on. Uh, there's a, a sort of a another statute right along beside that that says if I leave less than a child's share, in my illustration, less than one third to my spouse, then she or he could uh, renounce, can act, actually hire a lawyer and renounce my will after my death to get enough to get her up to one third of my estate. Again, if she doesn't have assets of her own that would already equal that amount. So there are protections for surviving spouses in our estate planning laws and uh, that people, oh, you know, we thought I could leave everything to my children from my prior marriage and I didn't think I'd leave anything to my new spouse. No, that may not be true. Well, Rick, it, it seems like it's a little bit surprising because when we talk about the things that left in the will, so maybe maybe just a small amount is passing through the will, but but this person is taking care of their spouse with a life insurance policy that passes outside mm-hmm. the will or joint uh, joint bank account that passes directly to the spouse. So that spouse could, could be really well taken care of from all the things that are outside the will, but they still have a right to a child share of what's in, you know, what's passing through the will? Well, the, the benefits they're getting outside the will could be considered part of the uh, separate estate, possibly, that would maybe offset that right. So, um, you know, it, it may be that they're going to get things uh, outside the will, like you say, benefits from retirement plans or from life insurance. Uh, and whether that would be considered a separate estate that might offset that right to renounce the will. I think I'm hearing it depends. Well, lots of things in the law depend. That's right. And it depends on, yeah, that's right. And laws change. We know that legal interpretations of statutes change as well. We're an interactive show, and we'd love for you to send us your questions by email. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can find the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. On Money Talks, heard on MPB Think Radio, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, and on the podcast, There was a recent show about unmarried households and money. So if you're interested in that topic, look for the May 3rd, 2022 podcast so you can listen to that. This morning, we are talking about the benefits of married couples as it relates to property, taxes, Social Security, and medical decision-making with our friend, Attorney guest Rick Courtney. We do have two phone calls. First, we're going to go to Picayune and talk with David. David, we're so glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Yes, um, I have a uh, a real property that's identified in a prenup, and I'm wondering if I create a trust to hold that real property, does that negatively or how does that impact the prenup, and do you lose your homestead exemption when you create a trust on real property? All right, David, uh, this is Rick. I if you have full control of that property under the prenup, 
which just says what your spouse's rights would be in the event of divorce or death, then I believe you could uh, restructure that property into a trust or an LLC if you chose to without uh, you know, negating the terms of the prenup. Your second question about uh, do you lose homestead exemption? Yes, if we've had folks that said, I wanna put my home in an irrevocable trust. That is, I wanna get it out of my name so I can start planning for Medicaid later on if I need to have assets out of my name for some reason. Uh, then they wanna put their home in a, an irrevocable trust. I tell them, if you do that, then you no longer own the home and two requirements to keep homestead exemption and keep your tax benefit from homestead exemption is you must own an interest in the property and you must reside there. That's the two things for homestead exemption. If you don't own it anymore and an irrevocable trust owns it, you would lose homestead exemption in most cases. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, David. And Homestead, that goes right into our our next topic. Uh, Rick, is there anything more we need to know about Homestead exemptions? Well, yes, there are Homestead exemption protections for spouses in our law. Uh, one states that a spouse who owns a home in one spouse's name only, and the other spouse, married spouse, does not own an interest in that home, the spouse that owns the home cannot sell or mortgage that homestead property without the non-owner spouse signing on the deed to sell it or signing on the mortgage to do it, regardless of the title. So even if they uh, one owns it outright, they can't sell it or borrow against it without the consent of the other spouse. So that's a protection for that other spouse. And also, if an owner spouse dies... The surviving spouse has a right to remain in the family home, in the marital home that was their residence together, regardless of whether that surviving spouse owns an interest. So if I own a home with that's in my name only and I have a wife that lives there with me or spouse, at my death, that surviving spouse can continue to reside in that home, uh, regardless of the tax exemption filing uh, and even though that spouse doesn't own an interest in the right, they can remain there for the rest of her life as long as she occupies that home. So there's another protection in the homestead there for spouses. And I'll go back to say unmarried partners don't have these protections. That's the essence of the show today. Let's go to Hernando and speak with Mike. Mike, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms. Our guest is Rick Courtney today about talking about estate planning. What's your question or comment? Um, Rick, a kind of a sticky question and scenario. Let me paint it for you. Um, It has to do with the now gender identification. A friend of mine's daughter decided she was a man and married a a gal with a baby. And they're in legal throws over what the future holds for who inherits what and who is a benefactor. Uh, is the law now stranglehold by people that say I'm not the gender that I was born? And then how does the law look at how to, you know, equalize the benefits for the spouse or the surviving children? Well, it depends on what the state's laws are regarding who is considered a married person. Uh, And uh, the Obergefell decision, federal Supreme Court decision, established that same-sex partners can be married 
Um, and there are protections that many states give, but there are differences in, among the states. Again, off the top of my head, I don't know of any statutory provision in Mississippi regarding uh, gender transition um, people and, and marriage uh, that would affect the validity of marriage, but it's something I would have to look up. Um, well, the but, reason I asked you was, is there any any is there any way, I mean, you have to prove that you're a female or prove that you're a male despite the fact that you've changed gender and then there's the law in your favor or is it against it? And I know what you mean. I, but it's such a gray area. It's extremely confusing. And this couple are in the throes of trying to figure out what the future holds for them. Yes. And again, I, that's why I say it just depends on the state's definition of marriage and who can be married to someone else. And I haven't, I'm not a divorce lawyer, so I, I have good friends who are excellent divorce and domestic relations lawyers, and I send some of those questions to them. But uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head of anything that has changed um, the provision regarding marriage, what is a lawful marriage in Mississippi. Professor Gershon may know, or I don't know. I, you know, I think as long as it really doesn't even matter the gender because uh, same sex partners can be married um, under yeah. uh, the Supreme Court ruling. So um, I think as long as they uh, were married and, and, you know, Mississippi requires, uh, you know, certain steps to get married. Some some states have common law marriage. As far as I know, we don't right. uh, have law marriage. So you do have to go through a process to get married. Um, but as long as they went through that process, they're married and they're, they are spouses just like anybody else that is married as a spouse, is my understanding. Yeah. We are talking about the estate planning, especially where it concerns to uh, benefits of being married. Now let's get to Professor Gershon's favorite topic. How about some the way married couples are taxed? What uh, do we need to know about that, uh, Rick Courtney? Well, there are, uh, and I will defer to the tax professor here. Yeah, I always did that in law school. <laughs> uh, but uh, one thing is income tax rates. A single person, if I'm, if a single person has an unmarried partner in that household, a single person with $170,050 of income is going to pay 32%. That's the tax rate for that income. But a married couple would be in the 32% tax rate with $340,000, so twice that much income. Uh, so a married couple where one of them makes $170,000, they would be in a lower tax bracket. Uh, and so there are benefits to being married uh, in income tax rates for a married couple versus a single person in some situation. And Rick, I'm yep. going to interrupt you for that. that. That is a relatively recent change, thankfully, because it was for a while. That two single people living together making income paid lower taxes than a married couple because there was something called the marriage penalty because the rates only went up uh, instead of being double what the single rate was the way they are now, they were one and a half times because they they were based on the 1950s premise that one person works and one person stays home. But again, clearly that, you know, but they just changed that law fairly recently. So I'm glad that finally worked out that married couples actually have some benefit. Yeah, yeah, and so it, it, it just compared to a, a two people unmarried living in a household with a certain amount of income versus a married couple with that same amount of income in a household, the rate the rate differences could be uh, could cause some benefits in taxes for the married couple. 
Um, on gift taxes, people, I often hear people say, well, you know, my mom and dad gave each of us kids $15,000 last December, you know, trying to get, you know, because that's all they could give away. And I said, well, not really, but um, the, the gift tax is 16000 per person per year. So I could give Liz Gill and everyone in the studio today up to $16,000 during the year and not have to report it, file anything with the IRS or do it. Uh, if I'm married, then my spouse and I, even if she doesn't have any money to contribute, if, all, if I have all the money in my name, we could contribute twice that, $32,000 per person. And so Liz is glad I'm married and we're going to give $32,000 to everybody at the studio there. So it can expand the amount of gifting that can be done without reporting or filing a gift tax return. Uh, it double that for a married couple. And then there's a state tax um, that I know Professor Gershom teaches this all the time. It'll make your eyes bleed to understand all the details of that. So just some high spots here. At my death under current law, I can leave an estate of up to $12.06 million if my estate value of all my assets minus my debts plus life insurance that I own, if that's all less than $12 million, there won't be any estate tax paid to the government at my death. It can all go to my uh, children or beneficiaries. If I'm married, we can protect $12 million per spouse or $24 million from estate taxes. And that could be a benefit for people who have a, a larger estates in that range. Now, again, people should not take that as, as we know, the amounts are subject to come back down to something less around five or $6 million per person in 2026, but we'll see what Congress does to change that by then. Well, and if you've got $24 million, no offense, but you don't need to be getting your legal advice from in legal terms. And anyway, <laughs> we this isn't a show about legal advice. We bring up topics to right. let folks know what they should be thinking, but you do need to have your own trusted advisor to speak to your situation particularly. Yes, this is general information and um, not advice of any sort. And at my death, I can leave an unlimited amount of assets to my surviving spouse without my estate paying any estate tax at my death. So that might load her estate up and, and she might have an estate tax problem later, but she can get good tax advice from a lawyer and fix that before her death. And then there's one other thing, uh, capital gains tax. And I know on Money Talks in the previous hour, there was a question some about capital gains tax on some property. Um, if you sell your home uh, that you've lived in for at least two of the five years before you sell it, the Internal Revenue Code gives you an exemption from capital gains tax. That's the difference between what I paid for it and what I sell it for. So if I have a house I paid $150,000 for and I sell it for $350,000 later, I have $200,000 of free money. I call it that. It's sort of, That's a fiction. Free money, it's the appreciation that's built up in it uh, beyond what I paid for it. Well, that 200000 is capital gain, and when I get that money, it's taxable income, except that the IRS says, if I'm selling my personal home, I can exempt up to $250,000 of capital gain on selling my home. 
If I'm married, we can combine our 250,000 and exempt up to $500,000 of capital gain in a sale of a home together. So that expands the tax savings for a couple where there's a highly appreciated home that's being sold. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Rick Courtney about the benefits of being married as it relates to property, taxes, Social Security, and medical decision-making. Rick is also fantastic at answering elder law, special needs, and estate questions. And I'll tell you how you can listen to his past guest broadcasts with us next. We hope that you subscribe to our podcast Or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings from the website mpbonline.org slash radio. And we do just love having Rick on the show over the past years. We've got a great link to where you can find all his broadcasts. Just search for the podcast dated August 5th. 2022, in legal terms, guest Richard Courtney to hear him discuss estate planning, elder law, special needs law, and other topics. We've got a couple of calls waiting. First, let's go to Meridian and talk with Susan. Susan, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? When he was talking about estate planning, I've forgotten what he He may have said life estate. Did he say that? I did not say life estate. That is one aspect of planning sometimes. Uh, well, we I know oh. with a life estate on property, you keep it still yours until the minute you die, and then it becomes whoever's name you put on it. But you do still have homestead exemption on your house. At least that used to be the case. Well, let me let me say one thing. When you... Put someone when you do a deed to someone else and keep a life estate, you no longer own a hundred percent of that property. You have put another owner on there, and that remainder owner who's going to get it at your death now owns part of that property. So there are tax implications when that property is sold of doing that. But and also since you now have put another owner on the deed on a life estate deed. You can't go sell it without them signing the deed to sell it. You can't go mortgage or get a home equity loan against it without them signing off on the loan, too. So, yes, it it does avoid probate. You still own an interest in the property, so you can still get homestead exemption, but there are other maybe complications that arise from that life estate. Well, the, the most important thing is if it's property and that kind of thing, a house, I'm going back to a personal situation. The person had no money but had land and a house, and they still had homestead exemption on their house. But the minute they died, the property was taxed. Well, it's no longer homestead property then for someone who doesn't live there. Yeah, but while you're alive, if, say, you want it, like if I wanted to put my house in my children's name, I'd do a home life estate. I can live here till I die, but then the minute I die, it's theirs. But That's I also correct. can't change it without their permission, is what I've been told. That's correct. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, Susan. Let's go to Memphis and talk with Steve. Steve, we're glad you've called in to in legal terms and you're calling from Memphis, which is in Tennessee, and we're in Mississippi. So make sure everybody understands that. What's your question or comment? Hello. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I was just I heard the talk about the exemption on your primary residence. You can you don't pay taxes uh, on 250 or 500. Um, on the net, uh, is there a limit of how many times you can do that? Can you do that three times in your lifetime, or is it once in a lifetime, or every 10 years, or what's the limit on that? There's not a limit. There used to be a requirement that you had to wait at least two years before you could do that again, sell a residence and get a benefit from homestead, uh, from capital gains tax, but now there's not a limit on that. If you've lived in the property for two of the five years before you sell it, that would qualify you to sell it and get that exclusion of capital gain. Gotcha. So I guess technically you could do that every two years. I mean, I, I don't have any intention of doing that, but but I think you could do that, I think you're saying. Uh, theoretically, yes, you could do that. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Rick and Richard, we did have an email. The title was, What Happens with Home After Parent Dies? And the question is, if the mother dies, do the grown children living with the mother have to buy the home or just continue paying for home without transferring the mortgage or insurance? This seems to have a lot of layers to me. Rick, what uh, what kind of information can you give about this situation? Well, that we have statutes that deal with homestead, and I'm assuming this was the mother's homestead property at the time of her death. And the homestead property passes to the surviving spouse, children, or grandchildren under our statutes. And so the children would would become the owners of the home. Um, and there are provisions that the um, that the executor of the estate would uh, take the exempt property and get it to those children who are entitled to it. So uh, I think that. Probably those children, well, if she left it to them in a will, they would own it after her death. If she if she didn't have a will at her death, inheritance law would say it goes to her surviving spouse and children in equal shares. So if she had no spouse surviving, they would own it that way as well. Uh, probate might be necessary to clear the title on the property after her death, but they would own it. And uh, it would be exempt property that passes to them um, and not subject to the debts that she owed at her debt is my understanding of the law. Thank you so much for that email. Let's go to Joe in Kosciuszko. Joe, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms, where we've got our guest Rick Courtney talking about estate planning and estate law. Joe, what's your comment or question? Yes, um, almost what they was just talking about. Uh, my mom left, left me her home about two years ago, and she passed away. I got the probate done. I got the will changed over in my name. Uh, paying the uh, start paying taxes on it this year. I'm just wondering uh, if I might have missed something. Like uh, I hear a lot about estate taxes. In the case of case of of my death, I uh, I am married. Does the does the does the house automatically go to my spouse, or does it air down to my children if I don't have a will? Those question that I have. I, so I, you don't. So you own, Joe, you own the house now, and you're wondering about what happened with it at your death? 
Yes, that is one question. And and the other question is, did I miss anything as far as uh, taxes on it when I got it deeded over in my name? Should I have reported it to the IRS or something, or unless I no. tell it? All right, yeah, thank you. No, um, when your mother passed away, you inherited that house with a new tax basis, what it was worth at her death. And so that's your starting point for any taxes. You don't have to report that to the IRS or anything now. Uh, if she had, if she died recently, if, if she had less than $12 million in her estate, then you would not, uh, she would not have owed any estate taxes. So you get everything. And now it's yours and you need to decide what you want to do with that property at your death. Uh, if you pass away without a will, it will go to your surviving spouse and children in equal shares. If you don't have spouse and children, it will go to your surviving parents and siblings under inheritance law. And I'll leave it up to Dean, to Professor Gershon to take the consanguinity tables out for inheritance beyond those parents and siblings because it gets really out into the family and the cousins at that point. But um, if you have a will, then you can leave that property to whoever you choose. Remembering that we talked early in the show about if you're married at your death, you can't, uh, your spouse may have some rights in that property to continue to reside there, regardless of whether they own an interest or whether you're leaving it to someone else. And Rick, there's, there's kind of a, a common misconception that the estate tax is a death tax and everybody pays it. Yeah. But really, uh, you know, fewer than one in a thousand estates uh, or, or, you know, or even have to file the return to, to, to pay that tax because of the, the limits that you talked about, that, that a single person can have over $12 million that they pass at their death um, and not be subject to the tax. Married couple, $24 million in 2022. I mean, I have no chance of ever having to owe the estate tax. But as Liz said, if I if I if I did have that much money, then I really give me that money, I'll pay the taxes. Right? Is how I looked at it. So when they call it, when politicians talk about it as the death tax, it's really it's really just a tax on very the very wealthy, and it's actually a a tax that makes sure that that some uh, unappreciated income. Income that hasn't been taxed yet, it does get taxed at some point. So you were talking about capital gains and things like that. And larger estates are largely made up of growth that has yet to be taxed, and that's what the, the estate tax was about. So most listeners do not have to worry about the estate tax. I will never have to worry about the estate tax other than I teach the class. And, and in Mississippi, we don't have an inheritance tax. That's where the person inheriting assets pays a tax. New Jersey has an inheritance tax and an estate tax and lower asset limits for their state. In Mississippi, we follow the federal uh, amounts, the $12 million per person, and we don't have a separate estate, uh, inheritance tax that some in, uh, an heir would pay when they get the assets. Joe, I hope that helped you. Thank you so much for calling in today. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. So if you want some of these benefits, what do you have to do to get married in Mississippi? I'll tell you what some of the laws are next. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Find us, subscribe, like the videos, and click on the bell for notifications.
We're talking with Richard Courtney about some of the legal benefits of being married. And if this sounds like something you'd like to get into, you can check with your county to obtain a marriage license in DeSoto County. Both applicants must appear before the circuit clerk. A marriage license costs $37, and they have a charge for credit card transactions to process credit card transactions. Proof of age is required by both applicants in the form of driver's license, IDs, passports, or birth certificates. If you are under 21, a parental consent is required. There is no blood work or waiting period required, and the license does not expire once it has been issued. If either applicant has been married before, they will need some additional information. And uh, in DeSoto County, their office only issues marriage licenses. Their judges do not perform their ceremonies. We've got uh, one email. We've got one call and then a bunch of emails. We'll see how much we can get through today. Let's go to Mobile which ends in the state of Alabama. Wes, what's your comment or question for Rick Courtney? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm on the deed of my mother's property, and uh, it's a life estate, and she has a little bit of a mortgage left on it. And I was wondering, uh, when she passes, um, will that mortgage transfer to me, or will we have to refinance uh, and take that over and, and any other sort of uh, tax uh, issues that uh, I might need to know about, I would appreciate. All right. So did you sign on the mortgage with her when she took it out? No. Uh, then uh, the mortgage won't automatically uh, transfer over to you when they made the mortgage. They did it based on her credit record. And so uh, when she passed away, they no longer have a borrower that they've checked the credit record on. So they might say, well, we now need to get it refinanced so we can check your credit record and make sure that we're comfortable with you keeping that mortgage going. Sometimes yeah. when, you know, when a person dies, a parent dies, I've told children, look, you keep paying the, the mortgage payment every month on this home equity loan. And they may just leave you alone because they're interested in getting it paid back. But, uh, they do need to know that their borrower has passed away, and then you work it out with the mortgage company. Okay, well, that, yeah, that sounds good. I just, you know, with interest rates going up, I just uh, wanted to kind of have a heads up. And they may let you assume that mortgage with the current rate on it if um, if they're willing to do that. They want to keep the loan, yeah. Thanks, Wes. Okay, thanks. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, Rick, that was the same email that someone else sent. If there's a mortgage on a home and the parent dies, who's responsible for the mortgage? Can the bank take the home from the kids if the kids do not meet qualifications to purchase the home? I'm assuming yes to that last question, that the bank can foreclose on their mortgage if they believe that they're at risk now because their borrower the parent who's died is no longer there to make the payments. That's who they base the mortgage on. So they can foreclose on that mortgage to take the property and get their loan paid off unless the children come in and work something out with that mortgage company. And then going back to our very first call from David and Picayune, he had a question about uh, the house 
and putting it in a trust, and it had been a prenup. The real property in his example was not a marital home. The marital home is out of state. Are there any considerations for a trust insurable interest or the insurable interest still with me since they have he has benefit of the house? And that's beginning to get a little bit more complex question that I'm not sure I can answer without looking at the prenup and also the trust document, all those things have some bearing on what could be done with property that's in a trust. And also I assume the property he's talking about is non-marital property in Mississippi with the marital home being outside the state. But uh, that would need to be looked at by an attorney to give any kind of credible response, I think. Uh, I, I don't feel comfortable just trying to speculate on it to answer that question right now. Well, here's one more email. Maybe this is more clear cut. Do spouses inherit responsibility for accrued medical debt in general? And if so, do they inherit any medical debt accumulations from before the marriage? No, and that's something I often counsel clients about in in estate planning and marital issues, particularly when one spouse is becoming incapacitated, maybe has dementia and the, the wife comes in and says, well, my husband ran up a lot of debts at the casino on the credit cards. Am I responsible for those? And I tell her, no. In Mississippi, we have case law that said we used to have the old doctrine of necessaries that was old English law that said us a spouse could be responsible for the necessary food, shelter, and clothing of the other spouse. But that was put down as an arcane doctrine. And our Supreme Court back some years ago said, no, the more modern doctrine, which we accept, adopt now, is that a spouse is not responsible for the debts of the other spouse, or I am not responsible for anyone else's debts, so to speak, if I did not uh, sign a leak to legally be responsible or liable for those debts. So if my spouse has medical debt that I did not guarantee or sign off on, I am not responsible or liable for that medical debt. And I don't inherit medical debts that my parents owed. Uh, We don't have a true filial responsibility law. That's the kind of law that says some family member might be legally obligated for debts of another family member. We don't have that in Mississippi. Some states do have stronger filial responsibility laws, but we don't. So I tell spouses, if you don't sign off or didn't sign off to be liable for that debt, you're not liable for that debt. All right, Rick, we have exactly 30 seconds left. Remind everybody to get a will or some kind of estate planning. Yes, that's right. It's important. And uh, as we can see from today, there are other things uh, in the law for far as uh, Medicaid eligibility, a person getting on Medicaid in a nursing home. Um, can have only $4,000 of assets, but a spouse at home, if they're married, can have $137,000 of money assets, and that person still qualifies. So there are other number of things where marriage makes a difference, and it can make a money difference. So uh, we like to counsel folks and, and explain things in ways that people can understand them and then make wise decisions. Um, and hopefully, uh, Professor Gershon's uh, students are coming out with some of that same knowledge that they're going to impart to their clients when they. 
Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us today. Thank you to Charles Arnold, our intern call screener. Thank you to Jay White, who was our board engineer this morning. For Professor Richard Gershon, who's teaching the new fine minds at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest, Rick Courtney, will have links to all of his information on this show's podcast. Thank you for listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.